Good morning, everybody, one more time, and welcome to Encounter. We're so glad, uh, so glad that you guys are with us. Uh, I just want to highlight something that uh, Joel just said is uh, Good Friday is coming up. And uh, a lot of you are new to Encounter, and we love that, and we want to say welcome here one more time. But uh, Good Friday you haven't been to, this is a, it's a different experience for us. It's different than maybe what you're used to, and I, I want you to spiritually be ready uh, to, to be available, to be open to what God has for you at that time. As, as we heard, uh, Fulton Heights location, um, it's a time when we journey with Jesus as he descends through death into the grave, and we join him there. Uh, it's, it's different, there's not a, a long talk, there's not the same music, and, and it's, a, it's an experiential time of worship. And then we get to celebrate Easter together. Uh, a couple days after that, Resurrection Sunday morning, what better way to celebrate? Um, what I want to do is, is to ask church, what's your move? How do you respond? Uh, we've got about a half dozen people or so who are ready to show the world that they've been raised with Christ through baptism. And there's no better way to celebrate at Easter Resurrection Sunday by sharing those stories and celebrating together. Some of you, it's going to be your baptism weekend and you don't know that it's your baptism weekend yet and I love that too. You can start that conversation today by going to encounterchurch.org slash baptism. Um, others of you, your move is going to be to invite your friend, your neighbor, your relative, a coworker, one person in your life that you want to hear that resurrection story and be filled with hope this spring. Uh, switching gears, we're in part three of our series right now called Unlikely. It's a study on one of the more unlikely followers of Jesus, a, a man named Peter, who became one of the most probably famous followers of Jesus, as unlikely as it is because he's, he's brash, he's impulsive, he's fearful, he's Peter, he's all of us. And it's a, it's a fantastic story as we're following him, and, and we're going to pick up his story in just a moment, but I don't want to start there. I want to start over here. All of us. All of us, I think, have had these stories, these moments that are just so absolutely embarrassing. They're just mortifying, right? That you're just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that that happened. How embarrassing is that? And, and the best of those stories, you can kind of laugh off a short while later and then, and then share them with some of your closest friends and family like I'm about to do. My story, my mortifying, embarrassing moment, uh, I was kind of coming out of college and I had one of these jobs. It gave me a 401k, which I thought was like the the pinnacle of adulting. Like, it's just, it, wow. You know, I had arrived. I was 22 years old. I had $300 in that account. I mean, it was, it was something, right? I quit that job, and I had to, had to roll over my 401k, all 300 of it, into an IRA. And I don't know if, like, the internet was just, like, a new thing at that point or whatever, but somehow to do that, I found myself in, like, one of the fanciest, most prestigious offices downtown. It's a high-rise building. Who let me go there? I have no clue. And I'm thinking, like, I got to get dressed up for this. I had a collared shirt on, right? Because I'm trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. That's a different sermon for another time. But I'm, I'm, I'm waiting there just hoping that they don't find out until the last minute that I only really have $300. I'm not like, you know, a wealthy person by any means, right? But I'm waiting. They call my name, and my wife is there with me, so we both kind of stand up, and we're going to go, we're going to go, like, back in the back offices and meet the guy. And I'm following the person who's leading me the way, and all of a sudden... Bam. I run smack into a glass door. Like, <laughs> never saw it coming. 20 years later, I'm pretty sure my face print is like still up against that glass door. And it's so embarrassing. I'm like looking around. First of all, it's not cracked, so thank goodness. 
everybody stops what they're doing and looks over at me. And they just kind of mumble something out like, I'll bet that happens a lot, doesn't it? And the lady looks at me and her eyes set it off. She's just like, no, just once. <laughs> and it's, I really couldn't recover from that. I should have just like, like left. Uh, but a little while later, a short while later, it's embarrassing moments, mortifying to me in that moment. My face is still pressed up against the glass. I'm now in the parking lot, and my wife could, like, we could laugh it over together. It was more so her laughing at me, but then she got me to laugh with, with me eventually. It's an embarrassing moment. It's a lighthearted moment. It's something that we can laugh about later, and you've had them, right? You've had those moments. You go to buy a movie ticket, and it doesn't happen very often, so you're always catch off guard when the person sells you the ticket, and they're like, enjoy the show, and you're like, you too. I did it again, didn't I, right? Some of you know the time when you found out that an Ariana Grande is not a Starbucks order. Like, you you remember where you were when that happened. And you're like, it's so mortifying. It's so embarrassing. And then a little while later, you can laugh about it. And then there are those moments that you can't. There are those moments that you wish for your whole life you could undo or that you could go back and redo some part of your existence that you could just unlive and those parts in your past a devastating financial decision but it was devastating not just to you but for the ones that you care about most it's a relationship that you allowed to fall through your fingers and you can't get it back again. We all have these embarrassing moments, these mortifying moments. Some of them we can laugh about a little while later and others of them, they just grip our hearts. And you can't laugh about it. You can't talk about it. And even right now, me just naming some things, you don't even want to think about it because it's way too shameful and it's way too painful, even just to go there. And as I name it, and as you start to think about what that embarrassing or what that shameful or what that painful moment might be, you know when you think of it, don't you? It's not just here in church when I say something on a Sunday morning. Usually it happens like tomorrow morning, usually right around 3 a.m., where something just wakes you up, I don't know, a bird chirping outside, a crack of thunder, And you wake up in your mind, like your brain does this horrible, this cruel thing. It it like reminds you of this moment in your past that you would give the world to unlive. And at three o'clock in the morning, you're tossing and you're turning and you can't push it away. You walk around the house, you'll get a drink of water, whatever it takes, but you're up. And it's like this pit, this, this anxious passenger that's with you, like all the time. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here today. Not for my sake, for Peter. Because he's going to tell us a story of the moment that he wished for all his life he could undo or relive and see what Jesus did with it. What you're going to experience today is what Jesus taught Peter then, is that while your past might remind you, it does not define you. 
We're going to go to the story here, and uh, just as a caveat as we get into it, because uh, I think it changes how we, how we read it a little bit. Um, Peter is going to tell us the story, but it's going to come to us through the book of Mark. So if you're a phone-following-along kind of person, we're phone-friendly here, uh, we're going to go to Mark chapter 15 to, to hear the story. But, uh, but we go to Mark... And it's actually like Peter's words. And it is a little bit of how it happened. Uh, Mark and Peter were traveling companions. They hung out. Uh, They were friends. They knew each other really, really well. Well, the story never really got written down for most of Peter's life because he was there to tell it. He would go to towns and he would go to villages and he would say the story that took place, that changed everything. For him personally, it changed everything. And so he would joyfully tell this story in every setting that he could. Hundreds of people, dozens of people in their living rooms, in their homes, in the town square, he would share this story. Well, pretty soon, People started not only believing it, they, they started putting their identities into it. I mean, it was the shaping critical factor, the defining point of their whole lives. And it started even like shaking and moving the Roman Empire. And so from the top, Caesar, the head guy, Nero, was the guy at the time. He goes, something needs to happen because the world is changing a little bit too quickly. And so he starts like this, this push down, press down movement, this persecution of these Christians. And Peter was the one who was the most famous of all the Christians at the time. So Peter was on the receiving end of this. It's not surprising to us that Peter found himself in a dungeon in Rome, Nero's Rome. And the story should have died there. Except for Peter says, this fisherman, possibly illiterate, The story needs to go on. It needs to outlive me. And so he calls his good friend, John Mark in, who we know is just Mark. And he says, Mark, I gotta share this story one more time only. I'm not gonna preach it to hundreds or even dozens. It's just gonna be one. It's just gonna be you, Mark. And I want you to write it down. And he did. And so when we get this story, we read it in your Bible, and it's Mark who wrote it. But it's probably Peter who spoke it. It's Peter's story. It's written in the third person because Mark is writing it. But I want you to hear it like it's Peter saying his story. Because he wants to tell you that your past might remind you, but it does not define you. And I think when he gets to this part in the story, John Mark, Mark is like, listen, Peter, you don't have to say that. And he goes, no, we do. We do. It's too important of a story to, to gloss over. So where we're going to pick it up is soon after the Last Supper, which the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they didn't know it was the Last Supper. Jesus goes out into the garden. He wants to pray and do the, the normal routine and rhythms that he was accustomed to. Judas comes. There's an angry mob. The soldiers come. They arrest Jesus. They take him away. And, and against, I think, Mark's wisdom, Peter wants his story told like this, picking up in Mark 14, verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. And for Peter saying the story, he's like, it's important that you recognize everyone deserted him. Present company included. And I live with that. Now, what we're going to see in, in the verses following is this, um, is this dialogue, kind of these high-level conversations with the high priest, the chief priest, the, the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin. It's like the Supreme Court in Jesus' day. And we're going to see these like insider kind of conversation take place. And remember, what we're saying throughout this series is it's Peter's story, right? And so we're seeing throughout this, this story that it's not like 
this book was not just handed down from heaven, leather-bound red letters and maps in the back. Like, it's a historical account. It's Peter's account. And Mark is, like, writing this. And an astute reader of the Bible might say, how did Peter get access to those, like, high-level conversations with the high priests and chief priests, teachers of the law? How did he know that? And the answer is we find out in a different book of the Bible, a different story, in Acts, some of those religious leaders, even some of those Roman guards and soldiers ended up following Jesus and they like filled Mark in and Peter in behind the scenes. That's how we have those accounts. Even though Peter wasn't there or Mark wasn't there, it's like they all chipped in to get this story told well. And you might ask yourself the follow-up question, why in the world would the people who killed Jesus end up worshiping and following him afterwards? And I cannot recommend to you enough to join us next week on Easter Sunday morning to hear that story. Continuing on, Mark, uh, Mark 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, all came together, which was unusual. This is a group of people that did not get along over a lot of things, but finding a common foe in Jesus was certainly one of them. Verse 54, Peter Peter followed him at a distance. And he remembers that part of the story. The gap between where he was and where Jesus was was a little bit too big. I just want to invite you to consider how far or how closely you're following after Jesus. Right into the courtyard of the high priest there, he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. And Mark says, are you sure you want to tell this part of the story? And Peter says, they have to know that I was not a hero. They have to know that there were none of us who were heroes in this story, 55. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. And many testified falsely against him, but their statements, their statements didn't agree. How frustrating that would have been. How infuriating. So the high priest in 60, and the high priest stood up before him. They just asked, he asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And I think it was probably one of the most infuriating things that Jesus could do because these are important people, right? These are people with high-rise office buildings downtown. These are people with glass doors and walls. And these, are, these are fancy people. These are, these are sophisticated people. These are the kind of people that walk through the streets of Jerusalem and no matter how crowded it is, the, the people kind of part like the Red Sea and they could just kind of go through because they're that important. These are people that are not used to asking a question and having the recipient not respond, let alone this Nazarene carpenter standing there in front of me who just won't answer. And so he's frustrated. And again, again, the high priest asked him point blank, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And I don't think what Peter recognized just outside warming his hands on the fire, I don't think what he recognized is that everything for that moment hung on Jesus' answer. That the destiny of Jesus hung on his answer. That the destiny of Peter hung on that answer. That the destiny of me hangs on his answer. The destiny of every one of us listening into the story now hangs on the answer that Jesus gives in verse 62. I am. I am. 
And the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists, prophesied. And the guards took him and they beat him. And can we just pause and like highlight how unnatural this scene is, right? Because like part of this series is, is unwinding some of our learnings and some of our assumptions about the Bible. And remember, this isn't just like a work of literature. It's a story about an event that happened that Peter was there for. And, they wa- and he watched as they beat him up, as they mocked him, as they spit on him, as their anger and as their rage built up all around him. And before he continues, Peter, 30 years later, in the chains in Rome, in the dungeon, Nero's Rome. And Mark says, this is your lap stop, buddy. Are you sure you want to say the next part? And Peter says, you have to know the next part. 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilee, and I can tell by the way that you talk. Galilee was in the north, Jerusalem was in the south. You may have noticed that northerners and southerners sometimes have a little different way of speaking. I know you, you're not from around here. You're one of them. He began to call down curses. He swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crows a second time. When Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Peter, fisherman with callous palms, probably a tough guy, breaks down. The moment that he would do anything to take back or to relive, to undo the moment of his greatest shame and deepest pain. This is, this is the 3 a.m. moment. This is the moment that plagues him when he wakes up and he goes, how could I? You know, a little bit later on in his ministry, a little bit later on, he's writing this group, he's writing this letter to a group of Christians, and uh, we know it today as First Peter, and in chapter 3, of verse 15, uh, Peter writes to these, these Christians, and he says, listen, I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared in season and out. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Because there was a moment when I was not ready. I was not prepared And I go back to that time at 3 a.m. and I toss and I turn and I think, how could I? Now, in the story, there's some of the dynamics that are going on. Uh, The the people, uh, church kind of religious authorities, chief priests, high priests, teachers of the law, they didn't have the authority, they didn't have the capacity to have anybody executed. That was a capital crime. So they needed to go to the civil authorities. They needed to go over to Pilate, which they detested. 
Because it was just another reminder that these Romans are over top of them and they need to ask for permission to do anything, like even settle this religious dispute. But Pilate loved it because it was another reminder that he was over top of them and he had the authority to settle everything, including these religious disputes. So they bring him up in verse 12 and Pilate says, what do I do? What do I do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? What a dig. Pilate asks them, and they shout, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And some of you know this story, and we're going to experience that on Friday, where they put the robe on him, and they twist a, a crown of thorns, and they press it into him, and they just make fun of him. They mock him, they spit on him, they beat him up a little bit more, and there's a part of Pilate that was probably just hoping that he wouldn't take the beating, that he wouldn't be able to survive it, so that he didn't have to actually go through with his pronouncement of an execution. But that's not what happened. Jesus survives the beatings, and he comes back before Pilate, and he has to make the call. We're just reading the next line. And they crucified him. See, Peter doesn't give the details on that one. Because he didn't need to. When he was writing, everybody knew what a crucifixion was. Everybody knew what the aftermath of the crucifixion was. They've all seen it. They've seen the bodies. They've seen the damage. He didn't need to go into the details. And we don't either. But what we do need to realize is that if we were there, if I was there, I couldn't watch. I bet there's few of us that could watch. But as we, as we hide our faces, that moment that we are most horrified God was most glorified. That's the moment that his sacrifice shines the brightest. And Peter remembers somebody in the crowd. And remember, it's been 30 years in the time of his writing. He remembers somebody in the crowd. In verse 31, he captures it. Somebody mentioned, you know, he saved others, but he couldn't save himself. And it's like the benefit of hindsight. You know, a couple days later, what Peter saw carried his faith through the next 30 years. And so he's got the benefit of hindsight when he's looking back and he goes, no, no, no. It's, it's not that, right? He, he's got the 2020 hindsight that sees the profound irony of that statement that if he saves himself, he wouldn't have been able to save others. If he would have saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to save me. If he would have saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to save you. It's the benefit of the hindsight. And we got that going on too. And then he asked a question. Jesus asked a question. Jesus, from the cross, with his few last breaths, he asked the question that at the time nobody had an answer for. At verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Nobody had an answer for a question like that. Least of all, Peter. But then he figured it out. And in that letter that I referenced earlier in 1 Peter, 
he says later on, this is his wife, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself, Jesus himself, bore, not your sins. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus, with his last few breaths, cries out that question that nobody had an answer for. Why, God, have you forsaken me? And Peter says, it's because... It's because the father, withdrawing from his son, is able to then draw near to me and to you and to every single one of us. It's 3 a.m. and you're tossing and you're turning and you just pray to God that there is a, a place, a safe place that you could go to take all of your pain and all of your shame and the life's biggest regret and push it away forever. And Peter says there is. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross and then buried. In the sin, you guys, stays there. My hope for you, when it's 3 a.m. and you wake up and you toss and you turn and you do a, a lap around the apartment or your house and you get a drink of water and then you toss and you turn is that you listen to Peter who's at peace with himself. He's at peace with the world and he's at peace with his God because Jesus took on his pain and his shame and buried it once and for all. And he can do that for you too. And that's the open invitation. And you'll hear the voice of your heavenly father remind you that my past might continually remind me but it does not define me my identity is in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and we're going to continue the story on Easter Sunday morning I want to invite you to stand up and we're going to pray to that God the same God the same God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am. The same God who called David out of the shepherd's field to rule the kingdom. He's the same God that came to Mary and said, you are going to be the mother of my child. The same God who declared from the cross, it is finished. The same God, Jesus, who remained silent in front of Pilate right up until the time that he says, I am the I am. Jesus, you're the same God from long ago. Spirit, you're the same spirit that inspired those words and whispered those words to Peter and to Mark thousands of years ago. And Spirit, you're whispering into our hearts. You're whispering into our ears right now. May we be, may we be courageous enough to accept your invitation to die with you so that we can rise with you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.